0: This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. With me in the studio today is Betsy Sweet, Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate. Welcome, Betsy Sweet. Hi. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with me in the studio today. Uh, My first question is, why do you want to replace Maine's senior senator, Susan Collins? Well, I think that we are in
1: peril. I think in a lot of ways. I think our democracy is in trouble, our very democracy. I think that there are issues that I here and that I live every day with people in Maine that really are um, threatening us, not threatening us, but that we're at a pivotal point, Healthcare being one, having a clean, healthy environment that doesn't do us in is another one. And then, as I said, um, really looking at our democracy. And I think that, to me, it feels like sort of the house is on fire, right? And I think Washington is bringing an eyedropper <laughs> to try and help do something about that. So um, the
0: first two issues, though, healthcare and the environment. Uh, Susan Collins, I think, is known for her pivotal and critical vote to support the Affordable Care Act, and she's often been endorsed by environmental groups. Are yeah. there specific things as far as those two issues that you see a real difference and what you would do yeah, if you were I the think, senator?
1: Yeah, I think Susan has changed. I think she's gone all Washington on us. I think she's gone all Washington on us. I think that she is now much more responsive to her donors and to her party leadership than she is to the people of Maine. People in Maine need single-payer affordable health care that you know i mean i don't know about you but i have a health care insurance policy i can't afford to use it i can't pay seven thousand dollar deductible and afford my premium so it's like even though i have one on paper and i guess if i had a terrible car crash or something it might help but other than that i don't feel like i have health insurance and my experience is not unique to maine and so i think this should be we should be like talking about this every day we should be worrying about this every single day Also on the issue of pharmaceuticals and prescription drug prices, if you look at where the donations are coming from Senator Collins, a vast majority of them are coming from insurance companies and pharmaceuticals. So on critical votes, maybe not the big one like AOC, um, Affordable Care, uh, ACA, sorry, the Affordable Care Act, but on you know everyday things that make it more transparent to see prescription drugs, to make it easier to get prescription drugs, she's not there. And so I think, and the same thing with climate change. I mean, climate change is a crisis. When I talk to my lobsterman friends out in Penobscot Bay, they know that their catch is way down because of the temperature of the ocean and because of ocean acidification. They they know that. That's not an interesting theoretical thing. And we should be doing something as fast as we can. And instead, we're just, you know, we're it's just going along. Washington goes along as if, you know, okay, the president might be a little bit of a problem, but we don't have that urgency. And I think that we need someone who is on our side in Maine. And I think, you know, we talk about, We hear a lot in the news about the divide between right and left, between Republicans and Democrats, and in Maine, even between North and South. As I've gone around the state a lot in the last two years, I don't find that's the divide. I think the divide is between, not between neighbor and neighbor, or even people on the right or people on the left. The real divide, we share values, I think, as Mainers. The real divide is between us. And the people in Washington, whose pockets are being lined for their campaigns, and that affects then who they listen to, who has access, and how they vote.
0: Have you ever voted for Susan Collins?
1: I have not ever voted for Susan Collins, but I know lots of people who have, and they all say to me, "I will never vote for her again." I was just in a furniture store uh, last weekend, and I was talking. You know, this guy was showing us some chairs, and he said, and he saw, he he recognized me, and. Said, aren't you running for the Senate? And I said, yes. And he said, well, you know, I've been a Republican my entire life. I have voted for Susan Collins every single time, but I will never vote for her again. So well, I think,
0: according to the yeah. Press Herald, um, there was a Pan Atlantic poll that was done in March that showed that Senator Collins had a 62% favorability rating. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, what you just mentioned, the urgency of some of these issues that you bring to bear, is enough for you um, to to actually beat her, or are you just hoping to have a conversation in in sort of the, on the national level and and be a voice for these values I mean, are you in oh this no oh it? no
1: totally in it to win it <laughs> and i think there's been other polls since then that show that her favorability has dropped down below fifty percent for the first time ever in her in her race so i think that you know and again the only poll that counts is on election day and i think one of the things is many of those polls are taken without anybody else in mind and so it's like well do you like or do you not like her well you know we I think, you know, and again, I think that she, she had been for a long time in a relatively moderate independent voice for Mainers, and I think the longer she stayed there, the less that has happened. For example, she voted with Bush, I think, about 62% of the time, and then was independent on issues like family planning and issues like um, LGBTQ rights and things like that. This time with this president, who she said was not fit to be president, she's voted with the all the legislation that the president has requested 87 percent of the time now that's not a problem except i don't think it reflects main values so i do think that there's a vulnerability there and i think people are ready for a change i think washington is broken it is incredibly broken it's a broken playing field for both democrats and republicans and i think people are
0: saying ugh we need something different so washington might be broken but a lot of people look at the economy and the growth of um economic productivity and the stock market as signs that we're doing quite well. yeah and so my question is uh, are you a capitalist?
1: Yeah I think I think we have to look at all those statistics about the economy doing well because you know how do we measure that the stock market I know a lot of people in Maine and none of us have stocks and so the stock market doing well is one old indicator. The people I talk to yes there's a lot of jobs. But it often takes two or three jobs to make ends meet. As a single mom, I've had two jobs for the last 10 years to make ends meet. And so it takes a lot to make ends meet. People aren't, even though the economy is going up, people aren't feeling it. So I think that capitalism as a pure system absolutely works. But we don't have that. You know, back in the day when Maine was thriving with wood product industries and forestry and um, fabric mills and shoe factories, the way it worked is when those owners of those companies made money, they invested it back in the workers, raising the wages. They invested to expand their companies and grow the number of workers. There was a lot of that investment. That's how it's supposed to work, right? And then the rising tide carries all ships. That's the theory. That has not happened. So it, now we have a system in which the people who make money off of the hard work of Maine people and around the country, instead they pocket that money, they invest in something else, either overseas, they put it in an overseas bank, but it's not going back to the workers. And so now we have a situation, right, the crazy situation in this country where three human beings have as much wealth as the bottom 50% of us. Now that something is very broken right so so i don't think labels and i don't think old economic theories matter what matters is the lives of people on the ground in maine and what i see and what i hear is that people despite what statistics say people are working damn hard to have to just keep a roof over their head pay for that really expensive health insurance and get to, and get their kids off to school you know get their kids to college those realities are real for people in maine and all over Maine. And so the values I think we have to look at and the statistics we have to look at is how are people doing actually in their real lives?
0: Uh, Today um, there was some um, news around, or it's been the last few days, that Susan Collins joined Democrats in supporting legislation that would um, kind of rein in President Trump's ability to unilaterally engage Iran in a military strike. do you agree with Senator yeah. Collins that yes, legislation absolutely. should pass? Yeah, absolutely. Um, she, and, it, and it's anticipated that this restriction on the president's um, power to engage unilaterally in war. This is a post-9/11 era type authorization mm-hmm. that has been, you know, banding about. Um, it was a, a essentially a party line vote, but um, Senator Collins and other Republicans joined Democrats. They weren't able to get the 60 votes necessary, but that amendment may be attached to the um, National Defense Authorization Act, which is the you know the, yeah, the money the, yeah the money for yeah. the military. Mm-hmm. and the Senate passed a 750 billion dollar NDAA and it was supported overwhelmingly in the Senate. I think only not, uh, eight senators voted against it. If you are elected to be a United States Senator, are you going to support the biggest military budget ever? No. No, Even if it means reigning in the president's um, ability to strike Iran, even if it means an increase for our troops.
1: Yeah, I think think that's what we have to do, is we have to say we can't just vote on a budget like that, right? What's in that budget? There's some critical support for our troops and for our veterans who— are being—are definitely getting the short end of the stick, and then we are getting billions of dollars in contracts for defense contractors who, again, have donated heavily to the parties and—both parties and to politicians to make sure that things happen over and over—you know, that we continue that kind of military spending. You know, the thing that amazes me is—I I say this all the time. We talked with people. Can you imagine a war in which there's actually—in um, in the United States? where we have battleships and guns. You know, the warfare of the 21st century is moving to drones and to cyber war and all of those kinds of things that don't necessarily require the kind of spending that we've had. There are hundreds of studies that have been done to show the waste, the neglect, you know, the amount of um, uh, pork that's in all this defense spending at the expense of these things that we really need, like health care. You know, we've spent over a trillion dollars on wars in the Middle East in the last five years. To what end? And that money could have paid for health care for every person in this country many times over. So we have to start talking about priorities and what really makes this country strong.
0: There's a small group of um, senators and House members who believe that the president has committed uh High crimes and misdemeanors and should be subject to impeachment proceedings. Um, do you have a position on that?
1: Well, I definitely think he needs to. We need to go through the process of the impeachment proceedings, which is different than impeachment. I think we need to investigate. I don't think that the special counsel Robert Mueller had all of the authority to look into the things that are, that might be high crimes and misdemeanors or collusion or any of those things. So I definitely think that there's a constitutional duty on behalf of Congress to look at those things um, and to make sure, to ensure that either the law was broken and the Constitution was you know, broken, um, or not. But we need, as Americans, we need to know that we need to have that. So absolutely, I think it would be, you know, every one of those legislators was elected to uphold the Constitution, not to protect a president or not to protect any particular president. So I think,
0: I I think what you're saying is, as a senator, you would support ongoing investigations to, to, to further your responsibility to hold the president accountable. Absolutely. What about Justice Brett Kavanaugh? There also is a small group of senators uh, who and house members and some activist organizations who support investigating brett kavanaugh in possible you know precursor to an impeachment proceeding what do you feel about yeah, that
1: Yeah, I, I mean i don't know enough about what the potential um in terms of le- legally what the potential uh infractions are on his part. I think that certainly the election or the appointment of Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court was something that for many of us felt like a punch in the gut. It was, did not, he did not appa- hold up the kind of caliber of the justices that we have seen in the past. You know, when Mitch McConnell failed to allow President Obama to appoint a, a Supreme Court justice with 18 months left in his presidency, you know, that was, that was, uh, uh, obstruction of the way the process is supposed to work and a politicization of the Supreme Court, which I think for a long time we have been above. So I think there's a lot to be looked at to say, how do we get it back to being people who uphold the Constitution and the law of the land and away from it being a political playground?
0: Well, Brett Kavanaugh had served on a very high United States Court of Appeals mm -hmm. and without incident and Then he was nominated by the president, and obviously the hearings ensued, and there was the testimony of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Mm -hmm. Was it her testimony that you felt should have disqualified Judge Kavanaugh from being a United States Supreme Court justice, or was it his demeanor and his um, kind of response – to yeah. the accusations, I think
1: all of the above, and I think also there were some complaints against him as a court, as a judge. So it wasn't just you know he didn't serve with distinction, um, as I understand it. Um, so I think it was all of those things. But I think that the demeanor, and I think the f- the, the attempts to have him not answer questions, that you know, and and it wasn't just. Um, Mrs. Ms. Ford, who came forward. There were other people who came forward. So you know it's just it, it it makes me sad. It makes me it it makes my heart hurt, honestly, for America and for all of us that we have so many incredible people of all political stripes. So I don't think it's his politics necessarily that are the thing that disqualify him, but who have incredible integrity and smarts and they believe in the rule of law and constitution and settled law. We have so many to choose from who have come through a non-political path, whether it's through the court system itself, whether it's through being law professors, whatever. But this was someone who definitely came through a political system, and and that was his rise was through a political system. Uh, back-slapping kind of way to get to his original appointment on the first court and then to continue. So to me, that's not
0: the promise of America. That's not the promise of our judicial system. Was the uh, support of Brett Kavanaugh by Senator Collins and then his ultimate confirmation thanks to her vote Was that one of your, um, was that a big impetus to you running? It was
1: part of it, for sure. I think that the tax cut was another huge one. And mostly, the biggest one for me, Cynthia, as you know, I have been a clean elections candidate. I helped write the clean elections law in Maine in 1996 when we were horrified that state Senate elections cost $6,000. And so the, the corruption of our entire political system by money, and by big money is the is the number one reason I'm running, because, because we can't solve health care or climate change or student loan debt or any of those things until we address the way we finance our elections.
0: Okay, I want to get to that, but I just want to jump back. Just one more question about the Kavanaugh piece, yes. because I understood from some of the campaign materials that it was a major factor yeah. in motivating you yeah. to run. And so my question was, if between now and the election, which is some time off, Brett Kavanaugh, in fact, provides the fifth vote to uphold the constitutionality of Roe versus Wade. I mean, it's it's unclear what he's going mm-hmm. to do. He's been somewhat unpredictable in terms of decisions. Some have been very good for progressives, and mm-hmm. some have been very good for conservatives. So, if he, in fact, is the fifth vote and upholds Roe, would that cause you to question your candidacy? No, would you- no. My candidacy is not based on one vote,
1: um, and I, you know, I think it's it more shows a pattern of a senator that is senator collins who has lost touch with mainers and who we are and who she represents and i think we see that in in some of her votes not all of her votes but many of her votes and many key ones for mainers and we mostly see it in her finance reports right when you raise a million and a half dollars in 3 months and 9000 of it comes from seven mainers who who are you listening to then if you're a human being right who are you listening to, who has access to you? It's not
0: Maine people. But do you think that in this day and age where the world is so small and the issues are so complex and we are part of a global community that it makes sense for people in other parts of the world, or other parts of the country rather, to support Senator Collins? Like I've always, this idea that somehow you have to um, gauge people and judge people by the residency of their supporters. I think makes some sense on a gut level, but it just seems to me in this day and age it's well, unrealistic to expect yeah, no, no, people no, outside uh, the state to not be engaged in this race. No, and it's so I important. think
1: I agree. And I think if it was a lot if it was a lot of individual contributions of 25, 50, 100 bucks, that would be a different story. The money is coming from super PACs, from business interests, from specialized business and political interests. It's mostly financial interests. Pharmacy interests,
0: and you know, we she gets money from coal companies. Is there okay. any coal in <laughs> me? Mm-hmm. <But laughs> I, I don't think your so. Opponents in the Democratic primary, namely Sarah Goody, and this, the House Speaker, was early on. Um, might have been moments after her announcing, <laughs> endorsed by Emily's List mm-hmm. and the Senate. Excuse me, the Senate Democratic Campaign Committee, yep. as well as other pretty NARAL, Is the other one Nayroll? Uh, uh, other organizations. Now, some people would suggest that even though the mission of those organizations is vastly different than the coal company and some of these other lobbyists, they are nonetheless PACs. I I would agree. And so do you find the uh, support, the financial support of your Democratic uh, opponents in the primary as equally repulsive as the support that Susan Collin gets from PACs?
1: Absolutely. And I think here's here's the thing. Right now we have this, to do a terrible football analogy, (laughs) we have a, a playing field that's very broken. Now, we have two teams on that playing field. Now, I would argue that our Democratic team is less broken, or less be- is better than the Republican team. But it is a broken field with people getting influenced by huge contributions on, on regardless of the issue. We can continue that and just hope that we keep raising money so that we end up spending, what, $35 million on a congressional campaign in the Second District of Maine? Like, what is that? Or we can say, you know what? We want a whole different field. We want to take our democracy back. So between getting rid of PACs and federal, you know, PAC influences, federal lobbyist money, you know, that kind of organized money that takes away our voices as individual Mainers, And then doing voter reform where we have in Maine, we have ranked choice voting, but getting make sure we have automatic voter registration, which was just passed, making sure that we have no restrictions to voting, making voting uh, election day um, accessible to people by making it a holiday or making it on Saturday, you know, those kinds of things that restores our democracy. That's what we need to do. We need to do nothing short of that. And so yes, the whole system is broken for both sides. And one of the things that we are doing in our candidacy is saying, no, we are going to do this a different way. Now, there's no clean elections program for federal races. um, And I will change that when I get there. It's one of my top priorities. But we are a small donor. Talk to people. Get out and actually talk to people. Don't spend your time in Washington or in rooms calling people in Washington trying to raise big money, because that takes our democracy away from us. So I think we have an opportunity to do it differently and to do it in a way that gives mainers real choice and Are real voice. Are
0: you going to accept there's about $4 million that's been reported on heavily arising from a crowd sourcing effort yeah. and campaign that you might have been a part of? And um, if all goes according to plan, the winner of the Democratic primary mm-hmm. is going to receive... Whatever money is in that
1: four point six million, I think. Are at you this point. going to accept that money? If you're Absolutely, because it comes from again hundreds of thousands of individuals. It's that's what the crowdsourcing is. It's a lot of people. They were asked to give twenty dollars and twenty cents. That's how that money was raised. And so I think that, as you said earlier, I think lots of people have an interest in this race nationally as well as here. But I think that's very different because you can't come and say, oh. I was part of that crowdsourcing, and so I get to have your voice. I get to take you out for two hours on my yacht and take you around and tell you what I think you should do. It's a bunch of people. So I think it's many people coming together. And what choice do we have given Citizens United? What choice do we have except to try and get together a lot of small donations for people to be able to then help um, fight against, fight um the influence of these huge super PACs that have billions of dollars to give in races. So I think that's I think it's a real opportunity. And I think most importantly, we need to be out talking to people. You know, get out from behind doors and get out all over the state and talk to people at their coffee tables their kitchen tables their picnic tables that's what i do it's what i did in the governor's race it's what i intend to do in this race
0: now abortion is an issue that's going to be i think very important in the upcoming election we saw the um, some states like maine expanding reproductive rights with the passage of the two bills Mm -hmm. um, that i think a lot of people know about but just for listeners sake one would enable um, health care providers other than doctors to perform certain procedures. And the second would make insurance um, coverage available for any woman who needs this yes. type of medical care. Yeah. Other states like Alabama and Georgia have passed incredibly restrictive abortion rights. Everyone sort of thinks it's because the states are really hoping that the issue will become you know, before the Supreme, the Supreme Court. Court. Yeah. But also NPR did a pretty comprehensive poll that Resulted in, in in the conclusion that a majority of Americans support the you know a woman's right to choose the constitutionality of of abortion. However, a majority also think that there should be some restrictions mm-hmm. on abortion. Are you in the camp that a woman should have uh, the right to an abortion at any time without any restrictions, or do you support um, some restrictions on 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 abortion.
1: Well, I think there needs abortion needs to be three things, which is accessible, legal, and rare. And I think that the rarity part means us actually taking some of our fund, our financing, and some of our healthcare system, and making sure that people have access to reproductive health, to con- contraceptives, to the things, uh, good healthcare, some of the things that actually help prevent unwanted pregnancy, education about what it is, and you know. So I think I think that our goal. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants abortion to be this great thing. Like, oh yeah, stop in, have an abortion. That is a that is a um, a message point of the people who are anti-choice. Abortions are very serious. Women who enter into them do not enter into them lightly. So I think you know there's lots of um, information about when life begins. You know, and obviously later on in someone's pregnancy, right? This idea that women are just going in and say, "Yeah, you know what? I'm 32 weeks along. I decide I want to have this baby." That's just not accurate. The, those abortions only happen when a woman's life or the child's life is in danger. So I think that we, I definitely favor much more access and much more freedom. Because, you know, without reproductive freedom, without freedom for our reproductive health, there's no economic equality. There's no social equality. There's no justice for women. And so this is one of the number one things that gives women that freedom. And it is a very personal decision. And everyone will make a different choice. You know, I don't know what I would do if I were faced with it. But I do know that that choice should be between me my family, and my physician, that the government has no place in regulating um, those medical decisions. Just like if I had cancer. I don't want the government to come in and tell me what kind of chemo I should take or whether I should do chemo or some other thing. You know, like I, I would never want the government to make that decision. What kind of, that's just, you know, people who aren't experts to do that. Those are personal healthcare decisions that need to be made with my own conscience, my family, and my physician. So I think that's what we have to preserve.
0: In the 2016 um election, who did you support on the Democratic primary side, Hillary or Bernie? I was a Hillary supporter. And do you have yet a candidate in the presidential um, election?
1: Well, I love Elizabeth Warren, um, and I love a lot of the candidates, actually. What I'm excited about is that is that we have candidates... And you know, people say, "Oh, there's so many candidates," and we do. They, they will winnow down, you know. But I think we have candidates who are actually having the courage and the guts, because of Bernie, quite honestly, and I think because of some of the other Alexandria Cortez and some people who got elected, people are actually now talking about issues and talking about the values that drive those issues, because in those things, Cynthia. Mainers, we're united. If you look at the referendums we passed, we passed Medicaid expansion to health care overwhelmingly all over the state. It wasn't divided. We passed taxing the wealthy to pay their fair share in order to provide education for our children. We passed that overwhelmingly. So we have all of these issues on which we are actually united. And then they get into the political arena, and people's soundbites and funding sources all get involved, and then all of a sudden we have a big mess. But I think if we can go back to the values that Most Maine people share neighbor to neighbor, and then actually have our politics reflect those values and reflect, and send people who are going to speak those values and speak that truth, and not get. Is there a particular
0: value of Senator Collins that comes to mind that doesn't reflect Maine?
1: Well, I think that I think she's just forgotten who we are. I think she's more listening to her donors than she is to people in Maine. I think, you know, and we saw Senator King talk about this, you know, again, I come from Penobscot Bay, my grandparent, my grandfather was a lobsterman out there, and I talked to my lobsterman buddies, these tariffs are killing, between the tariffs and, and the warming ocean, our lobster industry, which has been a hallmark of who we are, not just our economics, but also our tourism, you know, it is killing our industry. If I were the senator from Maine, I wouldn't shut up until we got some action on these things, right? And so I think that we need someone who we need to go fight for Mainers, we, yeah, and that's don't I think, think we've that lost there's
0: some competing interests against the lobster industry that also deserve merit. Like the lobster industry has not been necessarily cooperative with saving some of the whales that get entangled in all their webs, and and have fought back on some climate change issues. that, I mean, there's. Uh, so, do you yeah. think, as the senator from Maine, that you would just be with the lobstermen all the time? No,
1: no, no. I don't think I'd be. Any, I don't think I'd be with any group all the time. You know, I think I think they are complex and they were increasingly global and increasingly complex. But what I will always do is listen and then say, "Here's how I think we can represent what you need or what you want in this debate," and that may be different one minute from the next. Or if I don't agree with someone and I don't think it's in Maine's best interest, I will say up front. I don't agree with you, and here's why. But let's see if we can get somewhere, you know. And I think that that is the thing that I have done in my entire career for 37 years as an advocate for Maine people in the state house is really coming together and saying, okay. So I don't necessarily agree with you on that, but let's see if I do think that you know we should do X, Y, or Z. And family medical leave is a perfect example.
0: Let me ask you because yeah. I only have a few minutes left. Is your lobbyist organization a profit, a for-profit business, or a nonprofit?
1: We only represent nonprofit social services and environmental organizations, and that's what I've done my entire um life and we
0: pay ourselves and that's it so um well, so betsy unfortunately we're running out of time okay but if people and i hope to have this conversation Great. carry this conversation sure into i would the love campaign. that if listeners want to m- learn more about you how do they do that
1: just go to Betsysweet.com. you can see there's a join and you can follow us on social media facebook instagram twitter all of that um and we would love it because this is a, a people's campaign requires people so if you are inspired and interested please be in touch with us
0: Betsy Sweet, thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Cynthia.